Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are revisiting, in fact, online dating, which we talked about a few years ago now, but already we need to talk about it again because Mm -hmm. online dating has changed. It's continually changing, Caroline. My, how the times have changed. Yeah, the last time we talked about it, it was in the what is considered the second phase of online dating, which was kind of the the heyday of the algorithm-based mm-hmm. websites like uh, eHarmony and OkCupid, which, yeah, they're still around today. But, huh, folks, uh, we've gone mobile. We are app crazy. Yeah, no more reading through essays about someone's cats. No, now you just get to pick somebody for the night based on their picture. Or for days after the <laughs> night, you know, it's however you want to use it. Um, I will say that although I am in a committed and loving relationship, uh, about a month or so ago, um, my boyfriend and I were hanging out with uh, some friends and somehow we got on the topic of online dating. All of us at the table, by the way, were, you know, all in relationships and we started talking about Tinder because mm-hmm. everybody's on Tinder. It's like the hot new thing. And we were like, you know what? Let's just let's just see what Tinder's about. So we all got out our smartphones and downloaded Tinder and it's so simple to use because all you need is a Facebook account. So you don't have to set up anything. Mm-hmm. So 5 10 minutes later, we're all on Tinder just swiping through people's images and it was it was just interesting to see how it worked and for those unfamiliar with Tinder which is the fastest growing free online dating app right now all you do is swipe photos i think you swipe to the left if you don't want them and you swipe to the right if you do think someone's attractive and if you both if you swipe someone and you think he's attractive or she and he or she thinks you're attractive back, then you can start chatting and then maybe meet up. I had never even heard of this until a friend of mine, uh, dude roommate, was actually doling out advice to this female friend of his. And he was telling me about it. And he's like, yeah, she's on Tinder. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, what? I don't even know. What is that? What is that? And um, the impression I got from the description is that Tinder is like Grinder, and it is kind of like Grinder, but it has had nowhere near the same numbers, I would think. But it gave me like this ick factor to hear about it because I, ugh, as like a as a veteran of online dating, Kristen, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's, I feel like Tinder almost has different purposes. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more of, I think, probably because Grinder. It is uh, which is for specifically for gay guys um, because it's so associated with hooking up mm-hmm. that Tinder is similarly thought of as more of a hookup app. And hey, more power to hookup apps. If that's what you're looking for, that's totally fine. But it also is reflective to me of how we're using the Internet more and more of just visual based scrolling through photos and that's kind of all. We just want a quick hit. We don't want to read very much. We want to be able. It's instant gratification. We want to be able to swipe, and yeah. And then Tinder. I mean, you swipe and like they're there. Before we get into our online dating convo, I mean, Carolyn, you are a success story of online dating. Yeah, yeah. Um, my boyfriend likes to joke that he tells people that we met at the dog park because we don't have dogs. So that's the, but, um, yeah, we met over a year ago on OkCupid. And it's funny. He and I both, when we're out together sometimes, like at a bar or at a restaurant or wherever, music festival, whatever, we will both see people. A, that we went on dates with that were unsuccessful, but B, that we just recognize their faces yeah. from seeing them over and over again as suggestions on OkCupid. Yeah, it's it's funny how online dating opens up this vast new world, but also can make your world so much smaller. Yeah, because when there, you leave the house. Well, there. Yeah, exactly. There have been times when, like, I'll be out and I'll be like, I'll start to literally like go up to somebody and be like, Hey, do, I know you. Are you a friend of? And then I'm like, No, nope. Senior profile. Nope. And then it's funny when you have seen the person's profile and then you see them out in public and you're like. 
you're lying on your profile. You did some airbrushing. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, or you're yeah. Or you are not you're not that tall. Airbrushing or fact brushing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and honestly, Caroline, part of me wishes this could just be an episode of you and I swapping <laughs> online dating stories. Because uh I, I went through an online dating phase as well. Didn't have as much success with it long term. Um, but it was it was fascinating, though. Mm-hmm. It almost felt like an anthropological experiment. Well, I mean, you know, to talk about the weirdness of online dating, Kristen and I, personal note, actually went out with the same person. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Uh, not at the same time. No, not at the same now, time. This was, it was, there was a lot of time in between, but once we realized it, it was f- odd, funny. It was funny. I think, um, I think he, out of the three of us involved in the situation, I think he felt the most awkward. Yeah. About it. Yeah. And honestly, because he felt so awkward and because I had, uh, I had been on some dates with him prior, I felt the worst because I was like, <laughs> well, well, I did something terrible, but it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I just, I, it's funny, you know, you talk about online dating sites and apps and things making the world so much smaller. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good example. It was, it was a it was a pretty good example. Um, but since actually since the last time we talked about online dating, which I believe was in two thousand nine, uh, more people are trying online dating. Um, so the Pew Research Center did a whole report on this. It came out in October of two thousand thirteen, and it was just flush with statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the main one of which is that. 11%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's 11% of all internet users, which represents 9% of all American adults say that they have personally used an online dating site. Yeah, and 7%, coming in behind that, 7% of cell phone app users say that they have used a dating app on their cell phone. Now, I, I used the OkCupid dating app too. More and more really just to entertain myself like when I was on the train or driving home from work or whatever. Not so much as like an obsessive tool to use, but I didn't use any of these like locating services or anything because part of me just finds that absurdly creepy. Well that's one of the reasons why yeah well we'll get we'll get into that. I can't I don't want to jump ahead of myself because there's so much to talk about. Um but I will say that that mobile statistic is only going to increase. Oh, yeah. The future is mobile, people. Um, so another statistic, 38% of U.S. adults who are classified as single and ready to mingle, that's the official demographic term, uh, 38% of us have used online or mobile dating services. And this is important. 66% of us have actually gone on face-to-face dates because a lot of people who are on online dating sites are never going to meet up with you. They just kind of use it to look, see what's out there, maybe flirt, maybe creep a little bit. Um, and that is up from 43% of people who actually went on face-to-face dates from 2005. So at least we're, at least we're hanging out together more. And by hanging out, I mean dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we'll talk about attitudes, but I think part of that is that as online dating becomes more normal, more expected, you know, more of us are more likely to go out on actual dates. Yeah. Instead of just sit on the website and look. And there is long-term romantic success associated with online dating. 23% up from 17% in 2005. Uh, 23% of online daters say that they have met a spouse or long-term relationship through these sites. But that is among straight online daters. For people in LGBT relationships... Y'all are online dating like crazy. According to 2010 data from Stanford University, 61% of LGBT couples are meeting online. Mm-hmm. And that's a trend that's that was existent, too, I remember, when we were first talking about this. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And the numbers are biggest, really. This is, this is a young person's game. The, the numbers are biggest among young people, but the fastest growing demographic is 55 and older. Yeah, I mean, and you gotta keep in mind, like, while the fact of the matter is, if you're younger, you're likelier to have used online dating, but people 55 and up are the fastest growing, uh, online daters, probably because of things like divorce, sure. widowhood, um, and it's becoming, I mean, just to show how normative this is becoming, you know, the fact that 
older folks are doing it, that's when you know that it's like an accepted thing to do. Just like Facebook. Kind of, yeah. Um, well, as far as people who are now married or in long-term committed relationships, younger people are more likely to say that they, those relationships began online. So that's 8% of eight married and committed 18 to 29-year-olds versus, for instance, 3% of 50 to 64-year-olds. But as progressive as it seems like online dating is, because it's opened up all these avenues for different people to meet and, you know, kind of open up dating worlds that were previously closed off, especially if you live in a smaller town, smaller community. Um, but one there, there's one area where online dating reflects how we are maybe negatively stuck in our ways. Uh, this was a study that was published in November 2013 in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which found that, based on OkCupid data that they had collected, that in general, we tend to date people of our same race. We are not very adventurous when it comes to reaching out to people who don't necessarily look exactly like us. Yeah, but it was interesting what they found. It's that it seems like there's this like little barrier uh, that doesn't even seem like a brick wall. It seems more like a, a rickety fence that's kind of br- blocking us from going out with people or dating people of different races. Um, the researchers found that we might be limiting our choices out of a fear that we're not attractive to people of other races. And they found that uh, once people had been approached by somebody from a different race or had gotten a response from someone from a different race, they were then more likely to initiate contact or respond to someone from that same race in the future. These people logged 115 percent more interracial exchanges during this two and a half month OkCupid study than people of a similar background who had not been contacted by a person from another race. So basically, it sounds like if we use online dating as a tool to branch out a bit, it can have some interesting and diversifying effects. Yeah. Um, although one finding was that overwhelmingly the people of all the demographics, male, female, mo- the likeliest to receive a response from a message are white men. <laughs> Yet again, great to be a white man. <laughs> But speaking of white guys, um, Asian women did not fit the trend of kind of staying within their own ethnic group as far as responding uh, to messages. Um, Asian women were more likely to contact white men than other Asian guys. And Kevin Lewis, who is a University of California at San Diego sociologist who led the study, noted that, quote, scholars have found it hard to qualify how much of self-segregation in the dating pool has to do with internal prejudice versus structural issues in an already segregated society. So so in other words, they're not entirely sure whether, you know, it, it, what's going on essentially that keeps us sort of self-segregating over and over again. But they say it's heartening to see how the statistics show that once, you know, that, that we're open to interracial dating. And especially, yeah. I mean, if we just look at millennials and attitudes toward interracial relationships, we are by far the most like open and accepting of them. Yeah. So all it takes, just just start messaging different types of people and see what happens. Sure. And hey, you know what? For all the people out there who think millennials are rotten and selfish and lazy, we're open minded. So <laughs> and that's been my commercial for millennials. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the attitudes towards online dating, because when it first started, I think a lot of people were maybe a little hesitant to say that they met via online dating. There was this idea mm-hmm. that, oh, well, you have to resort to online dating because you just you can't meet people in real life. What's wrong with you? Answer nothing or answer you're busy. Um, and this Pew research has also shown that online dating is more positively viewed than it was just a few years ago in mm-hmm. 2005. Yeah, 59% of all Internet users, not just online daters, agree that online dating is a good way to meet people. That's up from 44% in 2005. And talking about specifically online daters, 79% of actual online daters agree that it's a good way to meet people. So not 100%. 79% agree that it's a good way to meet people. 70% of online daters agree that online dating allows you to find a better match for yourself, but a lot of people are still skeptical. 21% of all Internet users agree that people who use online dating sites are desperate, although that is down from 29% who thought you were desperate in 2005. 
13% of online daters agree that online dating is desperate. There's, so they're basically saying, yes, I'm desperate. I'm desperate Thir- and I'm going to find a freaking date. 13% of us. Um, and even though online dating is definitely perceived as, you know, more normative, like fine thing for you to do, it's not all that grand, uh, especially if you are a woman in online dating because negative experiences absolutely exist, whether it's things like catfishing or misrepresentation or getting creepy messages yeah. from people. That was one thing that I definitely don't miss about OkCupid, getting uh, messages from guys that were just rude or highly inappropriate. Oh, or- I, I would get these obscene messages and I got great joy. At first I was like, oh, God, it's so offensive and like, ugh, it makes my brain hurt. I just started editing their... Uh- I mean, I have an editing background, so I just edit their messages and send it back to them. And oh, I said, good. here's the edited version of your message. And ooh, that did not sit well. I have a feeling it would not sit well at all. Um, so 54% of online daters report negative experiences. 42%, though, of women report having been contacted by someone through an online dating site or app in a way that made them feel harassed or uncomfortable. You and I are the 42%, Caroline, mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to only 17%. Of men. So maybe just a note. I mean, and this is a very heteronormative thing to say, but maybe just a note to guys out there. Just, you know, don't be creepy on online dating. Yeah. But you know what? The guys who are going to be creepy in online dating are going to be creepy IRL, too, in real life. This is true. Um, but I think the, the fact of the matter is, as much as we still love to talk about online dating, and it's still treated, especially in this newer era of app driven dating. It's still reported on so often as a trend. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, and this was one thing that, uh, for instance, Maureen O'Connor at New York Magazine pointed out, how can you really call it a trend, especially for people of our age, Caroline? I don't, I really don't know. I can think of one person off the top of my head who has been in a relationship long enough that she hasn't used online dating. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like online dating is dating. Yeah, I uh my boyfriend has a uh, a younger friend who is in law school who uses online dating. And my my initial response to that was like, what is his problem? Why can't he get a date? He's surrounded by all these other students. And then I you know, I thought about an A law school, you're incredibly busy. You're studying all the time. You're working really hard to, you know, become an attorney and whatnot. But it is, it's like such a, it's so in the culture now that even college students are doing it. And college is supposed to be the time when it's like the easiest to date and make friends because you're surrounded by people like you. Well, would you rather go to a party and, well, this also is going to depend on your introversion or extroversion, but it's like, okay, you could go out of your way to strike up a conversation with somebody, go to a party, go to a mixer, go to a show. Or you could download an app and start swiping away on the bus, in downtime, in class, in your pajamas, while you're on the toilet. Let's be honest. I'm sure that happens all the time. Um, so I think that convenience is a big part of it. But before we get into the, the few, what, what this implies to our face to face dating lives, first, let's take a, a trip back in time to the history of online dating, how we got to where we are now, because there are some pretty fascinating milestones way back from college students in the late 1950s tinkering around with old school computers all the way up to today in the era of Grinder and Tinder. And we'll come right back with that info after a quick break. So before we get into the future of online dating, we got to talk about the past, see where we have come from. And essentially, we came from way back in the 1700s, the emergence of printing and pretty pretty much as soon as people started printing things, they started printing personal ads looking for mates. Right. So you guys, it's never been easy. It's really, yeah, dating has always been the worst. It's been kind of the worst mm-hmm. and a bit of a conundrum, especially in times where maybe there are imbalanced sex ratios or you're in a remote place. Um, so we've always basically been on the hunt for mates and have been trying to use services to help us do that. So for a long time, personal ads were it. And it's interesting that the 1970s were apparently the heyday of personal ads, even though only about 1% of married couples at the time actually met through personal ads. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, kind of the hottest way 
to outside of meeting people just face to face. Um, that was what folks did. And then the 1980s, Caroline, welcome to video dating. Oh, God, I want to see some of those videos. I know. I know. How many do you think had mullets? How many do you think were wearing neon uh, or windbreaker suits? I just, I'm so, I want to watch these so badly. Google that. I mean, it's, it's internet gold for today. But even by the 70s and the 80s, computer dating, like the very earliest kind of computer program set up to match people had already started mm-hmm. a while before. Yeah, 1959. There was a Stanford University class project in a math course called Happy Families Planning Services, which sounds almost sinister to me. It does. <laughs> um, but they programmed an IBM 650 computer with 49 men and women's personal data to match them up. One marriage came out of that. Hey, uh, and they got an A in the class. <laughs> Side note. Um, so that's one of like the earliest kind of grassroots algorithms set up to try to m- match people. And although once they, uh, it didn't work too well because they had these 49 men, 49 women, and it would start out with like the top tier. So the people who matched really well were perfect. So by the time you got down to like <laughs> the 49th man and woman, it was basically like, well, you, you're both breathing. Go hang out. <laughs> you have all the necessary bits. Yeah, so so not the most perfect, also very small sample size, but not, but not the most perfect algorithm. But then you see in 1965, this thing called Operation Match pops up among a group of Harvard students who set up a similar personality-based um, computer dating system. But the problem with all of these super old-school computer services was that the computers were so slow. They had a really hard time processing all of this data about different people. So really, they couldn't keep up with demand. So they didn't, I mean, until the technology uh, improved, online dating, just obviously online dating couldn't happen because the internet didn't exist. But Mm -hmm. uh, this computer-based dating couldn't really exist until computers were working a little bit faster. Yeah, and once they were, we have three phases, starting with online personal ad sites, which started with Match.com in 1995. Match, which I also tried, but it wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, I've never tried Match. No. Um, Second phase... Uh, of computer-based dating uh, would be algorithm-based sites, uh, starting with eHarmony in 2000. Interesting tidbit of useless information. Uh, a friend of mine, like an old coworker, signed up for eHarmony. And you know, you have to answer like 400 questions about yourself. Yeah. At the end of like the hour-long answering question period, eHarmony was like, "Sorry, bro, we can't match you." Oh, can my you? God. Yeah. Um, well, they did that for a while if you were gay. Oh, well, he. So that was charming. Yeah, I know. Exactly. He was a straight man looking for a lady. He is happily married with a son now. Good for him. Congratulations. But it was almost like I had to laugh to myself a little bit. That would be that would be a depressing moment. Super. Sure. He was super, super down about it. Anyway, third phase we have that we're in kind of the thick of is mobile app dating. And thanks to uh, the launch of the Apple App Store. Yeah, that happened in 2008, and we should attribute these three phases of computer-based dating to Eli Finkel, who is an online dating scholar um, out of Northwestern University. He also published a really comprehensive study in February 2012 on more of the science of online dating, looking at whether or not it actually works. Has it really improved our face-to-face dating outcomes um, and we'll, and we'll get to his findings because again, they are not to overuse the word fascinating as I do, but they're quite fascinating, Caroline. Um, but we have in this time, especially thanks to sites like OkCupid that are very data rich and they get a lot of information from their users because users also generate and answer so many questions that it works into their algorithm. Mm-hmm. So we have all of this data now about the habits of online daters, what works in uh, online dating profiles, just kind of how we use these things. So what have we learned? I mean, aside from the fact that you can pretty much find an online dating service or app for any type of person. I mean, the, the niche 
potential is just never ending. Yeah. And I love the uh, the data pile that OkCupid has accumulated. Um, they talked about men with the highest attractiveness ratings over on their website. And those men with the highest ratings had the words surfing, surf, yoga, skiing, and the ocean most often. Yeah. And for women, it's London, NYC, yoga, surfing, and athlete. So as you might be uh, guessing right now, surfing and yoga are the hottest pastimes on OkCupid. Yeah, so I bet a lot of people are like running to their computers and just typing like surfing and yoga over and over again. Photoshopping a surfboard into their profile pic that's taken like in an indoor location, probably. (laughs) Um, Radiohead, side note, is the hottest band. There's also some interesting stuff with language play. Cats, for instance, is more attractive than my cats. Also, men who use the word whom, 31% more attractive to to women. And for a little gendery note, it's 28% better, they found, for men to refer to women as women compared to referring to them as girls. However, it is 16% better for women to refer to themselves as girls rather than women. Isn't that interesting? So interesting. So we perceive men more favorably, apparently, when they refer to us as women, yet we come across at least 16% more favorably when we refer to ourselves as girls. Mm. Mm. Harkens back to our ladies podcast. That's right. Well, so talking about all this data and all these percentages, a lot of this is hyper-focused on straight couples, men and women getting together on these sites and these apps. But when you look at that stat that we cited earlier, that 61% of LGBT couples are meeting online, I mean, that is significant. So let's now look at at apps and sites that are dedicated to them. First up, let's talk about Grindr. I mean, Grindr is the superstar of dating apps because... Not only is, I mean, it's been like successful numbers wise. A lot of guys use it to find other guys, but guys also spend so much time on Grindr. I was uh, watching the HBO show Looking about, uh, it's focused mostly on like gay guys in San Francisco. And much of the plot line, I feel, feel like revolves around them being on Grindr and meeting guys on Grindr. Yeah. It even played a role in uh, a girl's episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a cultural phenomenon. Well, it should be. I mean, as of March 2013, it had amassed more than five million users who were spending an average of 90 minutes a day on it. Guys, 90 minutes a day. That's amazing. I know. I feel like you could be writing a novel in that time. Um, but uh, so Jamie Wu wrote a book called Meet Grinder: How One App Changed the Way We Connect. Jamie said that it has completely and possibly permanently altered the way that app developers and users think about location-based services because, like Tinder, kind of, Grindr is sort of the Big Brother version that it's like on hyper-location service steroids. It helps you find someone who's nearby so that you can meet up and have coffee. Right, Caroline? That's uh, Yep, that's exactly what I was about to say. Um but uh, Wu talks about how the fact that it's so fast and it can facilitate intimacy, I'll just put it that way, so fast, it's immensely appealing. And there are apps out there who are like tripping over themselves to try to replicate that success. Yeah. And in the one way that the makers of Grindr did not replicate that success so much was with Blender, yeah. which they basically made it as a straight version of Grindr. But they quickly realized that oh, this geolocation thing isn't as appealing to straight women because men tend to use online dating and online dating sites and apps more often. They spend more time, Mm -hmm. look at more profiles, I think three times more profiles than women do. Also, not surprisingly, because of, you know, heteronormative uh, dating sort of archetypes, men are a lot also a lot likelier to initiate contact with women And so you combine that with knowing where women are, and a lot of women felt very unsafe. Yeah, yeah. there was a story in the Boston Globe that talked about how a lot of industry executives themselves are saying, yeah, this is one hurdle we don't know how to get around. Women just aren't as comfortable being like, I am at this specific address in this specific town, because... 
there are fears that you will get stalked or someone will come find you or watch you or know where you are. I mean, I I get creeped out with the location settings on Instagram. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of of geolocation. No. Stuff. Foursquare, for instance, not my bag. Some people love it, but I don't. I don't want the internet to know where I am at all times. I I don't either. Even though it probably already does. No, it it for sure does. Yeah. Somebody's. I always feel like. Bye. Mark Zuckerberg okay. is watching us right now. That's right. Um, so like we said, Blender, not as successful. I mean, they have a ton of subscribers, but the reason why Tinder has been more successful is because it's not as focused on, hey, I'm right here. Who's around me right now? Um, so Grindr has been really successful, but there's also been this question, too, of, well, is there a way to replicate Grindr? For lesbians, because there hasn't been like massive success in the same way as Grindr has been so successful for gay guys Mm -hmm. for lesbians. And it's partially because there is this particular problem that comes up with lesbian targeted dating apps and sites. And that is catfishing by straight guys. Yeah, so awful. Men, come on. Um, So there are a number of lesbian apps out there, uh, there's Dotched, which originally was just a European-based app, but it has recently launched in San Francisco. So you're probably going to be seeing it in more areas of the U.S. if it is successful. And it has sort of a Pinterest-esque mm-hmm. uh, interface where it's focused, obviously, on a lot of photos. But it's not just what your face looks like, but also like things that you like, what your house looks like, kind of what you're right, you know, what you're into. And it does not emphasize the location services. Right. That's an that's another hallmark, which is interesting to see um, for these uh, lesbian dating app models. Not any of them. I don't think that I've found are as geolocation based as Grinder is. And in addition to Dodge, there's also find her. That's her with two R's. There's scissor. And then my favorite of all, and I've, I've not, obviously I'm, I'm not a lesbian. I haven't used this site before, but the name, um, just, uh, makes me laugh. It's, there's one called Brenda, <laughs> which, and I'm, I'm laughing about this too because I read a review of lesbian dating apps over on the After Ellen site and uh, she finally got down to Brenda. And her comment was essentially like, Brenda, really? No offense to Brenda's out there, but it's not the, it's not the sexiest sounding app. Sure. It sounds like an eighties businesswoman, maybe with shoulder pads, maybe doing some video dating, perhaps. And like the founder of Dotch, for instance, said like, look, you can't just take Grindr and reframe it for women. Like you can't just make Grindr pink and then gear it towards women, whether they're straight or lesbians. Because women are just looking for different things from their online and app services. Yeah. And it is unfortunate, though, that that uh, <laughs> I think that was the same developer who said that they have to be on, quote unquote, penis duty mm. because there are men who will um, f- create fake accounts posing as other lesbians and either, you know, maybe initiate contact, maybe just kind of troll around on the site to see who's out there, maybe actually try to set up dates to see if these women would be interested in having sex with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a big problem for these sites. And Scissor actually requires a validation plugin that includes personal information to ensure that guys aren't infiltrating their ranks. And, and they emphasize that this is not an anti-man thing at all. It's just, hey, we want to make sure that this is a safe space for women who are looking for women. Yeah. And that should be okay. And so for scissor, for instance, like you have to have a driver's license in order to use it, as opposed to a lot of these where it's hooked up via Facebook. And guess what's easy to set up? A fake Facebook account. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, you know, the one thing that developers are trying to figure out, and I mean, this is taking it back out a little more generally, is is what do women want? I mean, that seems to be a question in life, but uh-huh. specifically in dating apps and sites. Um, Ann Friedman, uh, writing in The New Yorker, looked at this and uh, she said, if you look at the precious few dating sites and apps with female founders, a pattern emerges. Women want authenticity, privacy, a more controlled environment and a quick path to a safe, easy offline meeting. She cites the app Coffee Meets Bagel 
which is like almost like a friendlier version of Tinder or Grinder. Like you, st- you're still flipping through, but it kind of puts the keys in the hand of the woman who's looking through. Um, Kara, uh, oh, sorry, who's looking through? Jessica Carbino, who's a PhD candidate in sociology at UCLA, studies online dating, and Friedman quotes her as saying, "You know, a lot of people uh, want to meet organically. They they know that online dating is important, but they still don't like it. They want to, you know, have it be more organic offline." Um, so she says that if you had a mobile app to let people know where men who meet their, their criteria are and let women initiate it, it could work as long as the women feel comfortable. Because what comes up uh, again and again in some of these things we were reading is like a lot of the, the straight women being interviewed are saying, you know, I, I want to still feel like the woman in the situation. I don't necessarily want to approach the man. And so there's a degree of like, okay, well, you want to have control, but you don't want to approach a man. So how do we create an app that like makes everybody comfortable? But there are some people who are saying that Tinder is doing that because there's this whole emphasis. There are so many articles too on Tinder is, you know, just a woman's playland. It's a feminist dream come true because you can either swipe men away or keep them around. And sorry, folks, that's not feminism. But uh, but there, it is a little more equal opportunity dating. Mm-hmm. Whereas with something like OkCupid, it's a little more formal. I feel like I feel like it falls back more on you know, stereotypes of men needing to make the initial approach. Yeah. Whereas with Tinder, maybe because it's a little more hookup oriented, it doesn't really matter as much. Yeah, but Amanda Hess over at Slate did take issue with Tinder being called feminist or any of these yeah. types of mobile apps being called feminist because le- having women treat men as disposable is not an equal opportunity thing. Thing. It's it's yeah. not that's having women treat men as disposable just like men do to women on these dating sites. That does that's not equality. That's just more like meat market mentality. Right. The focus on the disposability is is is, is anti-feminist. What would be more feminist is yeah, we should everybody should be you know as empowered and it should be as socially acceptable to ask a person out. You shouldn't be socially penalized mm-hmm. for being a forward woman yeah. if you wanna be. And on kind of a side note, with this whole feminism tie-in, they're clearly trying to market based on that. And in Australia, they did a, a marketing campaign alongside Amnesty International, which is a laudable organization. But the whole marketing campaign was focused on, hey women, aren't you glad you have Tinder? Because child brides exist and they don't get to choose. They can't swipe away their older husbands, which was just like, no, no, nope, let's, that's not, mm -mm, nope, that's, let's not do that. Yeah, um, there was an article about this in the Telegraph, and the writer was like, uh, this is kind of a sticky, icky situation, advertising in this manner, saying these various things, and while the Tinder founder does say that it's part of our mission to empower women, the Telegraph writer was basically saying, you're not really empowering anyone, men or women. It's just, it's using and kind of abusing a cause to sell something to, you know, perfectly privileged white people a lot of times. I don't know. I, I, I was a a bit aghast at that. Um, but some, uh, some female listeners might have heard of another dating service. It's not necessarily, it's not exactly a dating app. But it is a service that is also has been lauded as, you know, 21st century feminism. It's called Lulu. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is a guy rating app. It's kind of like Yelp for dudes where it's also hooked up via Facebook. So women go on and they rate guys that they know with a series of just so that they can't go on Yelp style and just rant about men. There are a series of pre-selected hashtags so that if you find a guy online and you don't know him, IRL, you can go on Lulu, see if he's in there and see what other women have to say about him. Hmm. But as Amanda Hess also points out, hey, this actually isn't so great because this is not consensual on the guy's part. Yeah. And what would we be saying if there was an app for rating women? Mm-hmm. We would be up in arms about that. Right. And I would not want to see the hashtags associated with my profile. 
But the existence of Lulu does point to one potential pitfall of online dating, which is that there it would be helpful to have a kind of rating system because as much as you might mesh online, as much as your interests might align, once you're sitting down face to face with a person, which is important to do mm-hmm. almost as quickly as possible, Grinder does get that right um, because psychologists have found that the longer you draw out your online communication before meeting in person, kind of the more you're setting yourself up for major disappointment due yeah. to something called the hyperpersonal effect, wherein you see this perfect online profile, so he must be perfect, and then you realize, well, he's not perfect, mm-hmm. or she's not perfect. Um, so where the need for something like a Lulu comes in is the fact that online dating doesn't, it doesn't account for those variables of just like any blind date of you don't actually know exactly how it's going to go. And we want to, you know, mitigate the chance of disaster. Sure. So we, we rely on dating site algorithms, things like answering all of those 400 questions on eHarmony to tell us this person is definitely yeah. going to be my mate. They, they're obviously perfect. We have like a 93% match score or whatever. But those algorithms don't really work because they're only matching things like interests, values, attributes, rather than how you two are going to get along in long-term situations. And I mean, that's a criticism and it's legitimate, but it's also like, how could you expect it to match you to a long-term partner, really? Yeah, I mean, and and that's also the conclusion of this Northwestern study um, led by Eli Finkel that we've referenced a few times and there, I mean, there's as much as OkCupid okay or Match or whomever hails their a- algorithm. There is there's just no scientific data to back it up. And a lot of them, like eHarmony, are very proprietary over this secret algorithm. It's like the Coke formula. You know, they don't they don't want to let anybody know what those supposedly secret ingredients are. It turns out that as you type in your answers to these eHarmony algorithms, they just go into a room with like a bunch of ducks Stomping around on computer keyboards. (laughs) It's true. Um, and, and he also points out too that there's this issue with the deluge problem. There are so many people now who are online dating Mm -hmm. that it almost presents this paradox of choice of like, uh, you know, you walk into a grocery store with like a million different kinds of cereal. The more kinds of cereal there are, the harder it is. To actually pick out a cereal, whereas if you just walk in and there's only cornflakes, you're going to go home with cornflakes. Yeah. But some people are worried. They're like, what if there's something better out there than cornflakes? Right. Because having all of these choices, you know, that that starts to lead to all of these, you know, critics of online dating who are saying that it's ruining our society because no one's going to stay married anymore or no one's going to get married in the first place anymore. And and like, okay, logically in a black and white world, like I see where your argument is coming from. I see that like having all these endless choices makes you think, oh, I can do one better and one better. But what online dating doesn't change is your inherent values. If you want to get married, if you want to have a committed long term relationship with one person, go on to have children, blah, 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 grow old, all that good stuff. You're still probably going to do that. Also, when did people start uh, staying married for forever? When did that? When did when did that divorce rate go down so far? Right. Yeah, people are really convinced that in the next couple of years we're going to start seeing ridiculous divorce rates, and and marriage is going to become outdated, and we're just going to continue to date until we're decrepit. Like one. So in this January 2013 piece in the Atlantic, the writer quotes. Um, one a founder of one of these online dating apps and the guy was like yeah i'm 40 and i'm still dating if i lived in iowa i'd have four kids by now and it's like would you yeah well here's here's this sticky issue with online dating because uh the fact of the matter is these are businesses and these are businesses capitalizing on this very particular and persistent issue of people wanting to either have sex or to have sex with the same person over and over again and Every time they're successful, they lose two clients. Right. So as Eli Finkel points out, it's ultimately going to be in the best interest of online dating services to keep a steady pool of single people. So I, I mean, I don't think that, you know, the people who started Grindr or OkCupid or whomever 
our evil and want us to, you know, to keep us shackled to our singlehood. But the convenient thing is that they can't eliminate all of the variables and figure out how exactly to perfectly match people up because nobody can. That's absolutely impossible to do. Otherwise, someone would have already done it and they would be a bajillionaire and life would be a lot more boring because if you take chance out of romance, then what would we write love songs about? Right, right. And to be honest, that very aspect was a big reason why I only online dated for a brief period of time. Because Mm -hmm. when I would go on dates, there was no mystery about it. It was, I mean, this was also reflective of just the time in my life. I don't think I was necessarily looking for a long-term relationship. And I think that colored my perception as well. But once I was there with these guys, it was like... There was it was already set up, you know, Mm -hmm. we were there for this purpose. Yeah. And it wasn't as exciting. And one thing I think, uh, you know, depending on your approach or whatever to online dating, I mean, one thing that makes me sad about the process or made me sad about the process was that, like, let's say you meet someone organically out, whether through friends or work or whatever, like chances are you'll kind of get a feel for the person and maybe if it doesn't work out romantically you're still going to end up being friends with them but online dating that's like that's not going to happen it's like you go out on a date with somebody that you met on okcupid match blah 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 you're there for one purpose and one purpose only and that is to freaking fall in love and so the first date i ever went on from okcupid uh was this guy who was incredibly cool and nice and we had so much in common but there just weren't sparks and the thing is, I would love, even now, would love to be friends with that dude because he's a very interesting, accomplished gentleman. But that just wasn't going to happen because we were only there for one purpose, and that was to figure out if we were going to fall in love and have babies or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and for all of these potential downsides, which are really, it's not a judgment against online dating. Mm-hmm. Online dating hasn't change the the product that we're looking for really right. it's just changed the way we shop for it um but eli finkel to not completely completely throw online dating under the bus because we're not um but the fact of the matter is it has at least opened up this new marketplace it is easier to meet people whether mm-hmm. those people are going to be long term or not who knows but especially if you look at the lgbt community for instance and how incredible of a tool online dating has been, especially in, you know, past times not so long ago where or for people who are living in not so progressive areas to be able to be out and to meet other people Mm -hmm. and to have that access right there. That is an incredible, you know, progression. But online dating is never going to solve all of our romantic woes. Oh, no. If anything, it's just like the Hydra. You you get rid of one problem, which is like access to meeting people. It just creates 50 more. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? Do we toss it to listeners now? Absolutely. I would love to hear your online dating stories because I, I know you have some weird ones. I want to hear online dating stories. Oh, we, we didn't even get into all the different kinds of niche dating um, sites and apps out there. If anyone has used one of the specific, like, farmers looking for farmers, I'm not just saying only these, but for instance, there, there's one for farmers. There's one, there's obviously like bigger ones like J-Date. There's even one that matches you up based on your candy preferences, which I don't think I have a big enough sweet tooth. I would for that. never, I would never end up dating anyone if I did that because I have a total sweet tooth and a lot of the guys I've dated could take chocolate or leave it. I know. So what does that, I mean, what does that mean? It means you and I would just hang out together. <laughs> <laughs> and eat chocolate. Perfect. <laughs> um, so please share your online dating stories. Have you, are you an online dating success story because it absolutely works? Or do you have horror stories to share? We love to hear them because guess what? We all have them now. Oh yeah. <laughs> so send us your stories, momstuffatdiscovery.com or just tweet us at momstuffpodcast or send us a message over on Facebook. And we have a couple of messages to share with you right now about beer because After a bad date, you need a beer, right? That's right. Well, I have a letter here from Haley, who lives in Wellington, New Zealand, which is a craft beer crazy city, she says. 
I am a female beer tender, and my partner is a brewer, so drinking beer, serving beer, and talking about beer is a huge part of my day-to-day life. The craft beer industry is much more lady-friendly than commercial big beer, but we still have a long way to go. I take great pride in explaining to people who use the term girly beer that no such thing exists because last time I checked, we do not imbibe what is in our pint via our vagina. My male coworkers also do their bit by passing on to me customers who look past me originally and intentionally wait for recommendations from a bearded man behind the bar instead. Also, I love that in an American accent, you can hear a difference between beer and bear because in our humble Kiwi accents, they sound exactly the same. Let's go to New Zealand and have a bear. That's right. Bear as beer just sounds really Southern. Bear. Let's have a bear, Caroline. Bear. Yeah. So, (laughs) fun with accents. Well, I have a letter here from Joshua, and he has recommendations for us, some craft beer recommendations. He says, to start, it really comes down to preferred styles. I'm generally very seasonal with what I drink, and I also like to try and pair a beer or style with what I'm eating, as it can really make a difference. He also noted that since you and I both talked about how we like IPAs, he started out with some IPA recommendations, and unfortunately, I can't read all the recommendations that he had, but among the IPAs, Hetty Hopper from the Alchemist Brewery, he says, is the absolute hands-down best IPA he's ever had. Unfortunately, you can't buy it outside of Vermont. He also recommends Pliny the Elder from Russian River, Lunch from Maine Brewing Company, and Resin and High Res from Six Point. He says both of those are very hoppy. And since we also talked about how sours um, are, A, unfamiliar to both of our palates, but are apparently popular among lady drinkers, he recommends Supplication and Consecration, from Russian River Breweries and Monk's Cafe Flemish Sour Ale, which is a great sour and easy to get. So, oh, Joshua, thank you for all of those recommendations. I'm rushing out after this recording. I'm going to try sours this weekend. Hmm. I'm going to do it, Caroline. Do it. I'm going to have a bear. Have a bear. I'm going to have a sour bear. So thanks again to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuffAdiscovery.com is our email address. And if you want to find us on social or find all of our blogs, podcasts, and videos, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 